This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Our guest today, one of our longtime guests, a friend of the show, Sean Mercer from the Social Security Administration. He's ready to take Social Security questions. But Ryder's here if you have an other personal finance question that you need answered. Or you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Sometimes we don't have time to answer emails on the air, but you do get a personal response from Nancy and or Ryder when you email your questions to us. Also, traditionally, when we've had Sean on the air with us talking about Social Security, we keep him busy. And so right now there are some open phone lines. So if you have a question, now would be the perfect time to call in so that you can get at the top of the queue and get your question answered. So, Ryder, we always like to talk about things in the news, financially speaking, at the top of the show. So what do you have for us today? Uh, yes. Yeah, so two things, because uh, we a couple weeks ago, we were not able to, to, to be here for a live show when the Bitcoin ETF came out. And I think that's probably one of the biggest pieces of news so far this year. Uh, so this is an ETF, an exchange-traded fund. So basically, you can just go, like you buy any normal stock, go buy something which tracks the price of Bitcoin. And I know some of our more astute listeners are thinking, but we've been able to buy Bitcoin before. We've even been able to buy a Bitcoin ETF before. But that didn't track the exact spot price. So the it didn't it wasn't tracking that physical or whatever it is, electronic price of Bitcoin. So there's always been a lot of questions as to what Bitcoin is. Is you know, is it a new financial system? Is it digital gold? Is it just fun? internet money. Uh, there's a lot of questions as to what it does and the purpose of these. And But as an ETF, we can now look at it, or we can look at it again, as kind of a speculative commodity. So the use of it, don't know. Some people might have a use for it. Some people might not. But it is a speculative thing. Uh, so when you're thinking about, oh, well, I can buy this. Do I need this in more portfolio? What is the purpose what is the problem in your life that this is addressing? What is the purpose that this is going to serve in your future? So, you know, because we, we usually talk about stocks, bonds, and cash. You know, if you need to spend money, you need cash. If you need money in the future, you know, you need to earn a little bit more. And, okay, bonds, fixed income for that couple years term. If you need money to grow with you so you can participate in the economy in the future in a kind of a scale equal to or greater than you're doing it now, that's what purpose stocks serve. So all of these things in your portfolio serve a purpose in your life. Uh, so the question now is, does Bitcoin serve a purpose in your life? I, and I, I don't have an immediate answer for everybody here. So that is the one thing. And the other thing is just the market, the stock market is back at all time highs. S&P 500 in the last couple of days kind of driven back to all time highs. So we think about what drives stock prices? Why do stock prices go up? And that's a lot easier for us to talk about than Bitcoin because we have a lot more experience with that. We also can look at these companies and kind of tell what's going on. Long term, uh, companies are growing uh, 
more valuable as they earn more money. Long term, we expect growth in earnings, growth in the value of the company. Shorter term, you see things like uh, economic expectations, government spending policy. That drives it because they think, okay, over the next few years, how is this policy going to change this company's earnings? And then real short term, we always talk about global events happening, uh, shocks to the market. Uh, These are things they affect stock price on the very short term because people think, okay, how does this world event change uh, how policy is going to impact these companies? So uh, again, over that long term, though, you expect that growth in the economy, growth in profits, that grows the value of your stocks. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be visiting today with Sean Mercer from the Social Security Administration, ready to take your Social Security questions. So, Sean, are you with us? I'm here. All right. We've uh, got a call already. So our first call goes to Chris in Hattiesburg. Chris, you're on the air. What's your question today? Yes, my average age of um, retirement for Social Security would be 67. I know I can wait till 70. What is the average roughly percent increase in Social Security I can expect by waiting those extra three years? About 8% a year. So you could you could get potentially 24 more percent if you wait from um, you know that time period. So we see a lot of people do that for various reasons. Uh, but you have to remember that your full retirement age is 67, so that means you were born after uh, 1960. And uh, so it's a personal choice, and we see people, you know, on both ends that wait there. It would be an easy decision if we all knew our date of death, but we don't know that. So uh, it's not something we advise or uh, don't advise in one way or the other. We just simply tell you what you can draw. So hopefully you have a My Social Security account and you look to see what those projected uh, benefits are going to be at 67 and at age 70, and that'll be a personal choice. Thank you. All, All right. right. Yes, sir. Thanks for the call, Chris. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Sean Mercer from the Social Security Administration. So, Sean, how is full retirement age calculated? Is it by when someone was born? That is correct. And so, uh, as I told Chris, um, him with his being – uh, age 67, that's uh, born after 1960. So all of our listeners out there, uh, our minimum retirement age is still age 62. They did not move that when they moved the, you know, increased the retirement age from 65 to 67. They messed with the top number but not the bottom number. So everyone can still take it at 62 if they are willing to reduce their earnings, which are only wages or net self-employment. But uh, so right now we're in about the 66 and eight months time period. The uh, those born in like 1958, the that would be their full retirement age. Then those in 59 is 66 and 10 months, and then it lumps everybody in after 1960 is uh, age 67. So three choices there for people to look: Do I take it at age 62? Do I wait till my full retirement age, or as Chris asked a great question there, do I wait till age 70? So there's, and we have people that do all of the above and everything in between. So it is a personal choice. We hope that our listeners have a My Social Security account. They visited our website at socialsecurity.gov. That's probably the best information that I can give today is to set up a My Social Security account. That way you know what your benefits are going to be. 
you kind of get that uh you can log in at any time and look at those and then it's a personal choice as we told chris whether uh you when you want to wait and draw those benefits off to gulfport we go this time john is on the line good morning john go ahead with your question okay thank you very much i have a daughter born in the united states uh was never given a social security number to my knowledge, but is working in, in the Irish Republic. And she's returning to the United States, and, and uh, she's very concerned about getting back into the system. Uh, All right. Uh, I, I have heard that there was a cooperative effort between English-speaking countries and the United States social security uh, system. Is that correct? We do have we do have agreements with various countries, uh, and you can look that up online to see what what those uh, countries are that we have agreements with. And so it's very well that we we do have agreement with the country where she's been, and uh, we uh, process those retirement applications or whatever centrally at our office in Baltimore, and could take care of that. Uh, the other part of your question is that maybe she never had a number. She was born here, never got a number. She would need to personally visit. Uh, the local office, you're calling from Gulfport, so we do have an office there. That would be one reason that you would want to go in. All other reasons could probably be handled over the telephone, but in her case, we're going to have to prove a lot of things. So she's going to have to have a birth certificate. We're going to have to really dig in to see why she never got a number, and we're also going to check real hard to make sure there was never a number issued that she may not have had had access to. So that does happen. It's not... um, something that we've never heard of before we do deal with situations like that. We just have to go through a lot more steps to make sure we're uh, correct on either assigning her a number or making sure she knows what her number is. Then the second part of your situation would be to look and see what type of agreement we had, if we have one with the country where she's been living, and uh, see about processing something there. So we can handle that. Can she go to the local... U.S. Embassy in Ireland in Dublin to get this information. Yes, she could probably check on that. We do have uh, we do have workers at various embassies. Whether or not we have one there, there may be one in the country there. She could start the process there to check and see if she wanted to. Yes, sir. Very much. Bye bye. Okay. All right. Thank you, John. You're listening to Money Talks, and our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past episodes. You can also download the MPB Public Media app. For your smartphone, then you get to listen to all of the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. And our guest today is uh, Sean Mercer from the Social Security Administration. Sean's answering your per, uh, your uh, Social Security questions. Ryder can help you with any kind of personal finance question that you might have. Jim's holding on, and he is next, calling us from Jackson. Good morning, Jim. What's your question today? Good morning. Um I'm a good bit older than my wife, and I was just wondering um, if I were to die before she reached retirement age, would she be would she qualify for survivor's benefits? A good question, Jim, and the answer to that is she has to be 60 to be eligible for widow's benefits. And as we're talking about that, that could be gender neutral. It could be widow or widower's benefits. So you could lose a spouse, but the the magic age we're looking for there is age 60. They are subject to the uh, earnings limit just like you would if you were to retire at 62. So if you're making over $22,320, we may hold some money back. Uh, so we see a lot of widows in the situation you just described where the husband passes away and the widow 
uh, is eligible for benefits, she would be eligible for approximately 72% of your benefits. Uh, every month she waited, that goes up till at her full retirement age, she would be due 100% of your benefits if she waited that long. So when you start talking about widow's benefits, there's a lot of if, ands, and buts there, and a lot of it is driven by age. But to answer your question, age 60, if she was over age 60, she would be eligible for some benefits off of your record. And we would also look, if she was over age 62, to look and see what she would draw of her own record first. So there's a lot of things we check on when we're talking about widow's benefits there. The other thing, too, is if she were disabled, uh, widow's benefits for a disabled widow, widow can start at age 50. So that's another nuance that we would throw in there that we could possibly check on. So, Sean, uh, survivor or widow, widower benefits, I feel like that's a big one that a lot of people don't really consider when they're doing their Social Security planning. Could you give us a little more detail? So if he had waited until 70 to take his benefit, would she get that and say his benefit was $2,000 at age 70 and say just for purposes, she didn't really have much to consider on her own benefit. At age, at her full retirement age, say 67, would she receive that full $2,000 or would it be reduced some? Say he had waited until 70, would she have a reduced one or would she have to wait until 70 to receive that larger benefit? She is, she's past her full retirement age. She could get uh, the uh, advantage of his delayed earned tax credits. If she's prior to full retirement age, she would not. So she would have to be past. 67. She would be have to be past age 67. So let's say she was 68. She could potentially get his delayed earned tax credits because she was past full retirement age. And is it possible you mentioned also that you would be looking at her own earnings record and her own uh, benefits that she might be entitled to? How would those impact, say she was entitled to some reasonable benefit at her own retirement age? Could she take that uh, could she take that early and wait to claim the widow's benefit, or is that allowed anymore? That's not really allowed anymore. So it, there was a time period where you could do that and kind of hold off, uh, kind of close that, maybe a loophole, for lack of a better term. But what we're always doing when someone files for benefits, be it a widow, just an individual, a couple, whatever the case may be, we, we're always going to check on your own earnings record first. And during that application, we're going to look for other entitlements. And in this case, we would be looking for a spouse. And so, number one, what would you draw off your own record? Number two, what would you draw off a spouse? Because the spousal benefits are always big thing there is going to be tied to age and the percentage that you would draw, provided you were married for the length of time. So we're always going to ask you to prove every marriage and every divorce. And that's where it really gets our job is to find the highest benefit that we can pay based on your personal situation. And so, you know, it's not uncommon for someone to come in and say, well, my sister did this. Or it's, it's really, it's, you can't really look at it like that mm-hmm. because your sister may have had a whole different situation than what you have. But our job at Social Security is to check and look at your own records and look at any marriage and divorces look and see what's the highest benefit we can pay based on your personal situation and pay you those benefits. And uh, 
you know, the highest that we can possibly pay you based on your age and the, and the time that you're filing. So, Sean, you do uh, like to talk about when you come on that, the, you know, the My Social Security and, and encouraging people uh, to create an account. So if you would kind of walk us through how someone would go about doing that. Great. And so uh, if you visit our website, as we mentioned, at socialsecurity.gov, and uh, right in the middle of the page is a My Social Security account tab, and that's for all of our listeners. If you're drawing benefits already, you need an account because if you have that account set up, it's just like online banking. You can change your direct deposit. You can print out a 1099 that you may have misplaced that you're going to possibly need for your taxes. Uh, there's uh, Get a benefit verification letter if you need to prove the amount of benefits that you're drawing. So that's for our people who are already drawing benefits. The My Social Security account serves a great purpose. For other people out there like myself who aren't quite there yet, but looking to see what our benefits may be, we need a My Social Security account because we need to look and see what our benefits are going to be, as we talked about with one of our first callers. What can I draw at 62? What if I became disabled? What could my family draw or my spouse draw if I were to pass away? What are my benefits at my full retirement age or what are those benefits at 70? We used to mail that letter out, and we still mail a few of them out at uh, – at, at times, say, age 55 and age 60. But if you have a My Social Security account, you can get that at any time. So I have an account, and I get an email about once a year from Social Security that says, hey, you haven't logged into your account in the last 12 months. I, of course, forgot my password. have to ask for that. <laughs> do most anything. Send that to you. We do have another uh, authentic. A way to verify, we usually send you a text code to your cell phone, and then I log into my account, look and see what my benefits would be, make sure my wages from last year were posted on there, and just kind of get an idea of what I'm looking at at age 62, age 67, and go from there. Forget about it. We don't bombard you with emails or things like that, but it's great for everyone to have that, and if you're a couple, husband and wife both need a separate account there to look and see and just have an idea of what your benefits are going to be and kind of keep up with that. It's the best five or ten minutes you'll spend all year and then uh, be prepared uh, whenever the time comes for you to start drawing your benefits. Now, I have a question. Since you mentioned a couple, each individual has to have their own My Social Security account. When it shows you, so you log into your Social Security and says you're eligible for you know, your, or your benefit will be $2,500 a month when you hit full retirement age. Does that take into account already any survivor or spousal benefits you may be entitled to, or is that purely on your own earnings record? Purely on your own. We do not know your, uh, we don't keep up with your marriages or anything like that. In fact, we don't even know. So, about some them. people might think that's a useful service <laughs> if you could keep up with their marriages. <laughs> So, so that's why we ask you whenever you file any type of claim with Social Security, we start talking about marriages and divorces. We get those, and then we have to verify those with the county. Uh, in Mississippi, we're going to verify with the uh, circuit and chancery clerk's office where you got married, where you got divorced, because we've got to prove entitlement there. So to answer your question, your Social Security, your, your My Social Security account is only for you. It does not take an into account any spousal benefit. 
So you would only find that spousal benefit when you're filing and when you're speaking with a, or when they verified, when they've gone through and verified all that, when you're doing your filing. That, that is correct. That is correct. And so a lot of times we may have, we'll just use because it's more common, we'll have a female who will say, you know, hey, I'm filing for benefits, but hey, I was married for 15 years, but uh, I've been divorced for the last, you know, 15 as well. My husband, we don't even have any contact with one another. We didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's drawing or not. We'll get some basic information from you, try to find that to see, hey, because there's a marriage that was over 15 years that ended in divorce, and see if we could possibly pay you any more benefits off that record. So that's where we start digging and looking into all that. And we love for you to have the Social Security number. It makes it a lot easier. But we do have some ways to try to find that if you don't. Mm-hmm. You've got to kind of give us some, you know, some pretty good tips of what we're looking at there for us to be able to go with that. You just can't say, well, his name was Jim, and we got married in Texas, and that's about all I know. Uh, you know, we need a little more information than that to try, to try to find that out. But most people, if you were married for 15 years, they, they have a little more information and can help us. And we, we search that to see. And having said that, it does in this case, it does not affect Jim's benefits in any way. You know, that's, that's benefits, you know, a, a divorced spouse is independently entitled. So Jim could have, be drawing benefits in Texas and have another wife that's drawing benefits on his record. No, that's fine. And then this divorced spouse in Mississippi could also be drawing benefits if she were entitled to those that were higher than his. That would be independent of anything that he's drawing out there. So for our listeners out there who are worried about a spouse that may draw benefits off their record or whatever, it does not reduce your benefits in any way. You're listening to Money Talks, MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Our guest today from the Social Security Administration is Sean Mercer. We've got some calls on the line, so let's dive right back into things. Dave has been holding in Jackson. Dave, thanks for holding, but it's your turn now, so go ahead. Oh, yeah. I just have a question. Has there been any positive movement on the elimination of the windfall penalty on Social Security benefits? All right, good question, Dave, and no, sir. Uh, I've been with the agency 32 years, and we're no closer today than we were when I was hired in 1991. And for our listeners out there, what what Dave is asking is that Dave or uh, uh, another person out there may have worked for a – uh, an employer that did not pay into Social Security. So that could have been a nonprofit or a government entity, uh, for instance, uh, may have worked for the state of Louisiana, and they did not pay in. So the only people that are exempt from paying FICA taxes would be a, uh, a municipality or government organization, a uh, nonprofit, or clergy. And all of the rest of us pay in FICA tax at 7.65%, and our employer matches that. And so when that person gets ready to retire that has not paid in and has a pension, that person may be offset because that pension is from what we call non-covered earnings. So an individual may have worked in Louisiana and draws a pension from the state of Louisiana, but they had a part-time job, and they also would be do some Social Security but we're going to take that pension and possibly offset that. So that's just kind of a little bit of 
information for our listeners out there. But to answer your question, Dave, no other movement on eliminating that penalty at this time. Okay. Oh, it seems like such an unfair penalty. If yes, you sir. Work the job, if, you, if you worked another job for 30 years and you also worked for the state for 30 years, you don't get penalized. Right. Yes, sir. And that's uh, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. So, uh, But to answer your question, there has been no movement on uh, eliminating that law or that uh, those guidelines with Social Security. All right, Dave, thanks for your call. Let's uh, move on next. We'll go to Picune. Is it Verena? Did I say your name right? Yes, Verena. Okay. Thanks for calling. It's your turn on the air, so go ahead. I've been told I am retired. I'm a retired teacher. I receive Social Security and a small pension. And I was told that once I reach 68, that I could go back to work and make unlimited my salary could be unlimited without any penalty from Social Security. Is that true? Yes, ma'am. Well, approximately, yes, ma'am. What year were you born, Veronica? 56. All right, so your full retirement age was 66 and four months. So once anyone reaches full retirement age, in your case, 66 and four months, the earnings limit goes out the window. So, yes, to answer your question, you could go to back, back to work full-time as far as your Social Security benefits are concerned, and we do not penalize you. And that's why we see a lot of people wait till their full retirement age to retire. They never really retire. They just start drawing their benefits. So at age 62, you're subject to an earnings limit that is currently $22,320. But once you reach retirement age, the month you reach retirement age, the earnings limit no longer applies. And any of our listeners, once they reach full retirement age, can go back to work. So you mentioned age 68. Really, for you, it's 66 and uh, and and four months there. So to answer your question, yes, after your full retirement age, you can go back without any penalty. All right, Verena, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Sean Mercer from the Social Security Administration. Ferdinand is on the line. Good morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. Uh, My question is uh, not so much about Social Security, but um, it's about um, income tax uh, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, Last year, I filed jointly, and I have uh, a lot of kids, and, uh, you know, I had roughly about uh, $360 due to the state of Mississippi as income tax. Uh, which I paid, and this year I did the uh, taxes as well using, uh, or, you know, the same software. Um, and whenever it came uh, to looking at the income tax from state of Mississippi, it was almost doubled. Uh, and I want to note that uh, my income has risen only about uh, roughly 10% in comparison to last year, but the state income tax is doubled. I want to, to see if uh, any of, uh, of y'all, uh, y'all's experts know anything uh, changed in the Mississippi law and the income tax. Yeah. So, Fernand, my question is: from your income sources, do you have do you do you have a job and W two salary income? Correct. Okay. Yeah, both myself and my spouse work at the same uh, gotcha. same institution. 
and yeah. uh, we we haven't changed anything on mm-hmm. our uh, uh, withholdings or pretty much I left it there and I've been working the same place for 10 years so has yes. my wife so, so we haven't changed anything on and as far as what is withdrawn from our uh, our paycheck and when you say you owed $360 in state income tax are you talking about $360 that you had to pay uh, write a check for or pay when you filed your taxes or are you talking about $360 including all of your withholdings throughout the year. No, yeah, that's the first one. So I owe the the, the state 360 something dollars, but this year right. is $660 and some change. Yes. So because you're withholding throughout the year, you've paid a lot more than just 360 or 600 as it is uh to the state of Mississippi. So with your increased salary, the state of Mississippi income tax bracket, it's about, I believe it's about 5%, uh, and they are working on lowering that to 4%. I'm not sure if that's this year or not. So so that 5%, that's about, um, not calculating this, about eight, uh, 800, 700, 700 uh, 7,000 extra dollars of income would have roughly 350 more dollars of tax. So if that's maybe about what your uh, increase in income was, then that explains it pretty well right there. Uh, There could have been changes to your withholding. There could have been changes just to the way your employer withheld some of your income. Maybe they withheld a few less dollars. But that's why you would have to pay a few dollars more when tax filing time came. It's not that your overall tax burden doubled. It's just this one little piece of it that we calculate, you know, once a year increased. Okay, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I would just, you know, because 300 here, 300 there makes, uh, makes a big difference mm-hmm. when you have a big family. Oh, absolutely. And I was just wondering whether whether uh, uh, the, the tax law has changed or have I hit a different bracket or something like that. As I said, my income just increased uh, about 10% overall. Between yeah. the both salaries, so yeah, I thank you very much. That explains a lot. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you show. Thank you. Absolutely, and I know we have a lot of folks looking at their, t- their taxes right now, and that is a tricky thing. Uh, the The federal government gives really good guidance on how employers should withhold taxes from someone's paycheck, so it tries to be pretty accurate so that you don't have too many surprises come April or uh, if you're still if you're in January figuring up your taxes. Um, the state of Mississippi has a much simpler uh, tax system. And they don't put out detailed guidance like the federal government does. It's just kind of we have a 5% tax bracket, and you can kind of figure out what your tax situation is going to be from there. So, you know, if if this couple hundred dollars here or there is going to make a big difference, you might want to just look real carefully and do the calculations ahead of time so that you get your withholding right. And you can work with uh, whoever's running your payroll to make sure they're withholding just enough or you're setting aside a couple dollars every month to make sure you can cover that again come January, February when you're doing your taxes. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. And our guest today is Sean Mercer from the Social Security Administration. We're off to Ocean Springs for our next caller. Manuel is on the line. Good morning. Go ahead. It's your turn. 
Hey, uh, I got a question for Sean. Uh, I know he previously made some comment about uh, uh, if you're married to somebody for 15 years. I have a sister who's been married for has been married for 15 years with a previous husband, and they divorced. And then she got married, but they're still, you know, uh, she's still married to this uh, second person. But the previous one died. Is she? Uh, what it uh, has benefit for that previous marriage? Probably not. Once she got remarried, she gave up the benefits off of that first husband, unless it was after age sixty. So a lot of if ands and buts there. But usually, your due benefits, unless you remarry, or as long as that second marriage is in force. So we would have to look at that and see. But probably not because her second marriage is still in force. All right, Manuel, thanks for your question. Let's move on. Next, we're going to go to Clinton. It's Beth's turn on the air. Go ahead, Beth, with your question. Hi, my name is Beth, and um, I um, feel appreciative for y'all taking the time to ask my question, but um, if you retire at 62, can you go back at 66 and pick up your full retirement, or do you need to wait until you're 66? Good good question there, and a lot of people think just what you just asked. So once you pull the trigger, you're reduced. So once reduced, always reduced. So if I take benefits at 62, I'm going to take the reduced benefits, and that's what I will have till death do us part unless I get the cost of living increase or I continue to work some, and it may increase my benefits because I continue to pay in. It's going to be small increases there. But to kind of answer your question, you don't go back at age 66 and suddenly, you know, get 30% more benefits because I'm now full retirement age or whatever the case may be. So once reduced, always reduced, except in the case where we have widows or widowers benefits, then we may be able to pay a higher benefit because there's another uh, another number involved there. But for just the, the general person that takes their benefits early, that's what they lock into. And unless they have another claim, such as a widow or widower's claim, that's going to be the benefit they draw for the rest of their life, and they would get cost of living increases. So the benefit would go up slightly some if we had that each year, but it doesn't It doesn't change and go to suddenly the full retirement benefit. Good question. Thanks, Beth, for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. About eight minutes left in the show uh, and and we're taking your personal finance, uh, your social security questions primarily. Uh, and let's just move on uh, to Keith, who's calling in from Flowood. Good morning, Keith. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I have a question about the lottery. Um, let's say I'm not talking about 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, but suppose the, the match five, 280,000. Suppose you win something like that. How does that affect social security if you're drawing social security? All right, so if you're over full retirement age, there's no questions, as we've mentioned with one of our earlier callers. It doesn't matter. But if you're under full retirement age, we mentioned a while ago, the things we look at are wages or net self-employment. So as long as those earnings are not classified as wages or net self-employment, which usually they're not, they're, you do pay tax on them, but it's usually through another uh, area of the tax code, and so it would usually does not affect your benefits in any way for Social Security. Now, we do have some people out there who draw supplemental security income 
which is a needs-based program called SSI that we administer here, and that could affect those people. But for our, our other listeners out there who are just worked and paid in and say, I'm a retiree and I'm 63 years of age and I hit the $250,000 uh, jackpot, that should not affect your benefits unless you somehow filed that as wages or net self-employment, which I have not seen that happen. I'm not saying it couldn't, but usually those uh, lottery earnings or anything like that are captured somewhere else in your tax returns. And we only look at wages or net self-employment for someone who is under full retirement age. Uh, Keith, uh, congratulations, uh, maybe. Um, but also one thing that it may impact, and Sean, you may have a little more detail here, is on how much of your Social Security benefit is taxed, because that is impacted by how much uh, the rest of your income is well. And I don't think that's limited to just earned income. Am I correct there, Sean? That is right. So we send, this time of year, we should be sending everybody that's drawing benefits a 1099. And uh, we don't know what their other income is. So if you're a Social Security recipient, we send a 1099 because you need to talk with your tax preparer to see if you owe federal tax on your Social Security benefits. Because Social Security benefits can be taxable, but it's based on your adjusted gross income for your household. So we're not tax preparers or professionals in any way. We can't even answer any questions about that. But what you've alluded to, Ryder, is exactly correct. The household income may determine how much tax may be due based on the Social Security from other sources out there. So good question. All right, Keith, we appreciate your call. Let's get one final call in. Off to Alabama we go. Butler has called in today. What's your question for us? Uh, I have like a two-part question here. My wife turns 62 in March, and she's got a little part-time job. How much money can she make uh, after she turns 62 without being penalized a year? This year uh, is $22,320 for 2024. Okay, my next question is, she's got a little part-time job. She brings home $261 a week, every two weeks. With, uh, that no taxes held out, but uh, the unemployment over here is two hundred seventy-five dollars a week. Can she draw the difference between that? I, I'm not sure about that. You would need to talk with someone with unemployment there in Alabama to answer that question, Butler. Hey, Dan, I appreciate it. All right, Butler. Yes, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Visiting today with Sean Mercer from the Social Security Administration. So, Sean, I I actually still have my Social Security card. Some, you know, every once in a while, I think I lost it, and then I my addled brain remembers exactly where I supposedly was storing it for safekeeping. But uh, in this day and age of digital things, is the the physical Social Security card still issued to to everybody? That is. So it's it's it's, it's at birth. Mississippi was one of the first states to. Uh, have what we call enumeration at birth. So everybody gets one through the hospital when they file, when the mother fills out the information there. So that's the first way to get a card, but you can also get one later on. And yes, you do need to keep that card because two places you have to show the card is usually to an employer or possibly a financial institution. A lot of people want to know your number if they're running a credit check or things like that. So uh, it's made. 
just like a credit card as far as the size, but it's not meant to be carried in your wallet or your purse. It's meant to be put up, like you just stated, uh, somewhere safe that you can remember because we don't usually apply for a job every day or open a new financial account every day. So we want to have that available when we do do those things, uh, but otherwise put up in a safe place and uh, keep your number. Be careful where you give your number out. Uh, it used to be all over your driver's license. That's changed now. We have a driver's license ID that's not related to your Social Security number. It used to be on your Medicare card. It's not on there any longer. So we're just uh, trying to lessen the place where that is out there because identity theft is a real problem, and uh, not only for adults but also for children. So for our parents out there who may have Social Security cards in their wallet or their purse for their children, get those out today. Put those up. Uh, if you really think you need those, why don't you just write them down in the chronological order of the birth of your children? So if you think you have to have those with you for some reason, but I would be careful where you give those out uh, because, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, trying to get cell phones or credit cards in your child's name, things like that. And we have people that come to us on a daily basis that have credit problems. Their Social Security number, their name, everything is correct in our records but yet someone has compromised their account, and we're not going to change their Social Security number. We're going to uh, refer them to the three major credit bureaus to fix a potential credit problem that they have there. So uh, anytime we can keep that Social Security number safe and uh, uh, not uh, lose that card where somebody actually has an actual card with your name and uh, official name and number on there, we want to keep all those in a safe place, as you mentioned there, Kevin, so that we have them when we need them for those uh, special cases. And also just a reminder, too, that when we talked earlier about the My Social Security account, that's a that's an encrypted website. So folks, when they create an account and go there, they can rest assured that that information is, is being safeguarded. That is correct. And we also, it may be if you're starting to try to create your account, we may ask you a strange question about a car loan or a house note or something like that. So we're tied in with the three major credit bureaus to do one more check to make sure we know who we're dealing with on the other end of that line. All right, Sean, appreciate you. You have been doing this for as long as I think I've been doing this show as well, and you always have such great information. So we certainly do appreciate you helping us out uh, this Tuesday morning. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. So for Ryder Taff and our guest, Sean Mercer, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.